We gather this day to be reminded of the sacred in the ordinary, the holy moments of waking yet again to a new day. The feel of the earth beneath our feet, the cool crisp on our skin, the joy of being welcomed by our fellow travellers, the warmth of this place. Help us this day to be fully present in our living, awake to each breath. Remind us, O oh God, that life is taking place in the in-between, as well as in our lofty goals. Remind us, O oh God, that the details and the detours craft the path and make it our own. Help us to remember that we did not make this day, but that we have the glorious pleasure to greet each moment as it unfolds, to reach out and kiss it as though, as though it were a visitor who has come a long way just to see us. These and the prayers of our hearts we now lift up in the silence. Amen. So, good morning, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to Essex Church and to this, our gathered community of Kensington Unitarians. I hope you feel warmly welcomed here on this grey, chilly February day as we gather to explore this month's theme of wisdom in words and silence, music and prayer. Janine and I will be considering some of the ways that we people find helpful to access our inner wisdom. And one of those ways is to get up on a cold, miserable day like this and make the effort to come to church where you are guaranteed a whole hour, a 60 full minutes of non-stop wisdom. <laughs> wisdom provided possibly entirely by your inner self. And my own inner self sent me upstairs to my flat only five minutes ago to try and remember the one thing I'd forgotten, but I couldn't remember it, and now I have. And it was the lighter, Janine. You've got one. <laughs> Mine's upstairs. So let's start by lighting our chalice. It's a symbol for Unitarians and Unitarian Universalists around the world. That flame is lit. May its light guide us. May its warmth encourage us. May its message strengthen us to do the work that the world needs of us this day. Welcome. Welcome to you all. I don't know if anyone here has ever um, owned a donkey. There's not a lot of call for them in central London, is there? Or ridden one, surely some of us have managed to ride a donkey from time to time. I did have a brief friendship with a donkey um, once when I was a child. A donkey that would eat the carrots that I brought very eagerly, but would never let me ride it. On the one occasion when I did manage to get on the back of that donkey, it did that trick of sidling up to the wall and then trying to crush my leg between it um, and the wall. So it's left me with considerable respect 
for donkeys and their ways of coping with us humans. And because I respect donkeys so much, I've changed the ending of this old tale, uh, told, it is said, by Aesop, the wise slave, whose stories were collected as Aesop's fables, moral tales that um, pointed out to us simple human beings how foolish we can be. Aesop's fable of the miller, his son, and their donkey is a story told to warners not to take the advice of others too readily, not to try and please everyone in this world. And I wonder if it rings any bells with any of us. Do we pay too much heed to the advice of others? Or, perish the thought, do we ever find ourselves thinking we know what's best for other people? Surely not. So, the story is told. A man and his son were once going with their donkey to the market, and as they were walking alongside the donkey, a countryman passed them and said, You fools, what is a donkey for but to walk up, to ride upon? So the man put the boy on the donkey and they went on their way. But then soon they passed a group of villagers, one of whom said, See that lazy youngster? He lets his father walk while he rides. Tusk, no. So, the father ordered his boy to get off, got on the donkey himself. They hadn't gone much further when they passed two women, one of whom said to the other, oh, shame on that lazy lout to let his poor little son trudge alongside whilst he gets to ride the donkey. Well, the man was really struggling to think what to do next, but alas, he got the boy up on the donkey with him and the two of us, Two of them together were riding into the village. By that time they'd arrived and the passers-by began to jeer and point at them. And the man stopped and asked what they were scoffing at. And the people said, aren't you ashamed of yourself for overloading that poor donkey of yours, you and your great hulking son? Well, they thought and they thought and they thought. And that's what I did this morning when I was trying to look for a donkey. And all I could find was the camel. <laughs> and to be honest, when it comes to beasts of burden, camels are worse, I think, than donkeys in getting them to do what you want them to do. But Greta, you did offer to try with this. I don't know how we're going to manage it, but I felt it needed a visual aid here. This isn't easy. Don't do it at home with your own donkey. But what they did was to get the donkey upside down and then tie it to the pole. This is a very bad thing to do. It's also very heavy, and I doubt that they were able to do this in real life. I think it would have taken more than two people. But this is what happened. Well, is it getting heavy? <laughs> so heavy. This is how the miller, his son, and the donkey went into town. My goodness, did people laugh when they saw what was happening. And what then happened was that the donkey struggled, got one of its hooves loose, made a great leap of escape, went over the bridge, and you know, in the original story, it fell into the deep water of the river and drowned. How unfair is that? So in my story, the donkey leapt out, 
swam away and lived happily <laughs> ever after. And that is the story of the miller, his son, and their donkey. Or was it a camel? <laughs> As we move into a time of prayer and reflection, as I invite the the God of our hearts and our understanding to be with us now and to bless all we say and do together here this day. As we face the complexity of our world with all its issues, all its busyness, let us be people who find simple pleasures people who are grateful for small delights. I invite each of us, if we wish, in this short moment of silence to find something for which we are glad. And it's as we journey through life. May God bless us with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, superficial relationships, so that we may live true to ourselves. May God bless us with anger at injustice, oppression, exploitation of people, so that we may work for justice, freedom and peace. May God bless us with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain and rejection so that we may reach out our hands to comfort others. And may God bless us with the foolishness to believe that we can make a difference in this world so that we can do what others might claim cannot be done. And in stillness now, I invite you to send your thoughts and prayers to places and people in need this day. And may our prayers find ways to be enacted for the greater good of all. Amen. In, in a world where um, there are so many sources telling us what to do and how to live, it seems a good idea to encourage one another to consider how each of us best accesses our inner wisdom. It's a very personal matter. 
how we know what's best for us. And Janine and I would like to hear from you over coffee later, perhaps, what your favourite sources of inner knowing are. Are you someone who has vivid dreams that tell you what's important for you? Or are you guided by your gut feelings? Do you know quickly what, what steps you need to take next in life? Or are you someone who needs to sleep on it or mull something <coughs> over, perhaps over days or even months? On today's hymn sheets, and I'd like you to know what deep pleasure doing these drawings gave me, <laughs> I've scribbled some pictures to represent some of my ways of accessing inner wisdom, ways that over the years I've realised help me bypass my busy brain. And I'm aware that not everybody experiences a busy brain quite like I do. Some people's brains, I've come to understand, are quite still, but mine is not. And so I have to bypass that bit of my brain that worries endlessly about issues and can't leave them alone, and instead almost switch that off and be guided by other aspects of myself. So trying to draw doing the washing up or, or stacking the church chairs, that was beyond me, but they're both simple physical tasks that seem to switch off my busy brain. And they allow me to have interesting different thoughts that seem to, I don't know, come from a tangent in some way, a different way of thinking. I know some of you find a similar state through gardening. Um, I don't often remember my dreams, but when I do, they can sometimes give me, me a surprisingly new perspective on an issue that's been niggling away at me. And I have useful thoughts when I'm driving or swimming or walking. And sometimes they're those kind of light bulb moments. You know, there's the flash of a new insight. I also appreciate talking some issues over with someone else as though the act of speaking and being heard allows new creative thoughts to flow. I did manage to leave a tiny bit of space on my drawing page for you to write or draw some of your favourite ways of accessing your inner wisdom. One of my sources of wisdom is my body. I am often very aware of tiny bodily sensations. And if I listen to them, if I pay attention to bodily sensations, I can sometimes learn things about my life and how I'm living it. But it really wasn't always like that for me. For, for a long time when I was young, I ignored my body and its messages. It was almost like I hadn't got fully connected up in some way. And I, I wonder if that resonates with any of you. In, in my 20s, I'd, I'd done what I thought you should do as a young adult. I found a great job that my mum and dad were really proud of me getting. It was well paid. I'd found a partner and I thought that was what you were meant to do. And we bought a flat, which I was convinced was what you ought to do. And I should have been really happy, and I was not. There were things that were not right. There were tiny signs to start with. The job 
was in an office just in Chancery Lane and at my desk if you really craned your neck you could see a tiny little bit of blue sky and that was it and I had to sit there all day and you weren't allowed to open the windows and the flat was on an upper floor and again only had tiny windows that you could open and it distressed me but I thought well that's just what you do you put up with it I knew the relationship wasn't right but I thought well you just have to work at it don't you and I found myself walking to the bus stop one day and every bit of my body ached and I really thought oh this is what it's like to be a grown-up you have to put up with the difficult bits mm-hmm I was about to get incredibly ill with rheumatoid arthritis and within a few months of having that is this what it is to be a grown-up thought I actually had left the job, I'd left the, the flat, I'd left the relationship and my life was about to change completely. I slowly from then on started to build a relationship with my whole self, particularly through my body. I was incredibly fortunate not to be permanently ill. Since that experience of illness in early adulthood, I've spent a lot of time exploring bodily awareness. And my awareness has been raised to the great diversity of people's bodily experiences. It is a great conversation to have with people. It's almost as good as trying to explain what's going on in our heads, to try and explain what it feels like to have a body because we all feel differently about being a conscious, embodied self. I've also heard people's accounts of surviving trauma through disassociating from the body and the journey that people then start to make, sometimes back to their physical selves. I've also sat with people moving towards death some of whom have expressed a sense of being more than their physical selves, uh, being ready to let go of physicality. If you yourself are in pain at this moment, aware as I am of how pain made me cut off from my body, I wonder how it is for you. Does pain have you move away from physicality or, or does it make you more aware? of your physical self, probably both at different times. Because of course our body is a key way for us to stay in the here and now if we can pay attention. Focusing on our breath and on our bodily sensations can be a way to bypass, at least my busy brain, a way perhaps to access inner wisdom. So we found two simple body meditation exercises for us to try today. Uh, one's going to come before the music and one afterwards. Um, so the first comes from the mindfulness movement and it's what's called a, a body scan. Very simple guided exercise in body awareness that Jean Lean's going to lead. So you won't need your hymn books and um, orders of service for a while, so you can put them down if you, if you wish to. So I invite you to begin by bringing your attention into your body. You can close your eyes if that's comfortable for you.
You can notice your body seated wherever you're seated. Feeling the weight of your body on the chair. Take a few deep breaths. And as you take a deep breath, bring in more oxygen, enlivening the body. And as you exhale, have a sense of relaxing more deeply. You can notice your feet on the floor. Notice the sensations of your feet touching the floor. The weight, the pressure, vibration, heat. You can notice your legs against the chair. Pressure, pulsing, heaviness, lightness. Notice your back against the chair. Bring your attention into your stomach area. If your stomach is tense or tight, let it soften. Take a breath. Notice your hands. Are your hands tense or tight? If they are, see if you can allow them to soften. Notice your arms. Feel any sensation in your arms. Let your shoulders be soft. Notice your neck and throat. Let them be soft. Relax. Soften your jaw. Let your face and facial muscles be soft. Then notice your whole body present. Take one more breath. Be aware of your whole body as best you can. Take a breath. And then, when you're ready, 
you can open your eyes. A short adapted sensory reflection by Claudine and Olivia, which you're invited to participate in by moving your hands and your feet um, a little, if you wish. And that will leave, lead us into a time of shared silence and stillness, and that silence will be ended by a chime from our Tibetan bowl. I invite you to each take a deep breath into this present moment. And realising that not everyone will have the functions to enter into all of these movements, but grateful for the skills that we do have, I invite you, as you're willing and able, to participate in this interactive meditation. Spirit of love, God of many names, we enter into this time of centering and sensory reflection. Let us shake out our arms and hands and rest them by our sides. Let us shake out our legs and feet and plant them on the floor. 
let us stretch our heads high and let us take a deep breath of thankfulness. Let us touch our eyes, happy to have the beauty of colours, lines and shapes. Let us imagine the beauty of the world, the flowers, the trees, the babies, the puppies, all of the things in which we delight. Let us touch our ears. Through them we hear glorious sounds, happy ones and sad ones, beautiful songs and lonely cries. Let us listen well so that we may fully live. Let us touch our lips. For through these lips we receive the food and drink that nourishes us and helps us grow. And we speak the words that express our thoughts and feelings. Let us touch our hearts. For it is with our hearts that we know and share love. Love for others and love for ourselves, for our minds, emotions, and bodies. Let us feel the world around us in our imagination. Let us experience the wind that calls, the sun that warms us, and the rain that nourishes the earth and cleanses us all. The beauty of life is all around us. Let us softly say, each in our own way, thank you, thank you God, thank you nature, thank you world. And may we smile in delight as we share some quiet stillness together now. I want to talk to you about feelings. The feelings we have inside, sadness, frustration, anger, confusion and despair. Through my life, I've felt them a lot. These emotions that we can all feel within our bodies, within our beings, if we let ourselves. 
have been so many times in my life, though, when I've dismissed my feelings, discounted them, judged them as invalid. Times when they were trying to alert me to something, to point me to a deeper truth about myself or a situation. But I was cut off from them or I ignored them. Only after the event, saying to myself, I knew that would happen, or I should have just listened to myself. Doing this over and over again was a great disservice to me and a grand injustice. My feelings were trying to communicate with me, communicate that I was on the wrong path, telling me not to trust certain people or events, signalling for me to go for something I deeply wanted. As I look back, I realise how much I shortchanged myself, how not listening to my own feelings and my own inner wisdom steered me onto a path that took me a long time to correct from. And not only that, not listening to myself by seeking answers from outside, from friends, professionals and experts alone, it led to a kind of loneliness. A loneliness born from not really knowing myself and what was right or wrong for me. Things changed, though, about two decades ago, when I realised that I couldn't go on with things the way that they were. My lifestyle choices were unsustainable for me, partly due to the constant emotional pain and anger, which arose from continual self-betrayal of going, going against my right and wise inclinations. It was at this point in my life that I first came across guided visualizations. And one visualization I was guided through a few times, some of you here may be familiar with, as we've done variations of it here at Essex Church. In this visualization, it invited me to go on a journey and meet a wise being. Once met, I was invited to ask that wise being a question and listen for the answer. An answer which might come as words, images or sensations. Visualisations like this and other tools not only help to access our inner wisdom, but to strengthen our link to it so that we can recognise it more easily, trust it more readily, and act on it if necessary. I know that this was definitely the case for me. From dismissing my feelings to learning to acknowledge that I was feeling what I was feeling for a reason, that every emotion that I had both mildly or strongly, 
whether an emotion I liked or didn't like, it had a purpose. That my anger was alerting me to boundaries being crossed, either by others or by myself. That my fear was trying to keep me safe. That my frustration was letting me know the strength of my desire to achieve something and to find a solution to the obstacle preventing that achievement. That my envy was highlighting something I wanted in my life and to find a way to attain it in a way which worked for me and didn't take it away from anyone else. My emotions they were one way that my inner wisdom was expressing itself to me. As the years went by, learning to turn to and trust my inner wisdom more, the immense pain and anger I'd been feeling started to diminish. As I began to portray myself less and listen to myself more, and I started to be able to feel and recognise other emotions, such as joy, gratitude and hope, and decipher their messages too, thus gaining a wider and more balanced emotional life. And I still do ask other people advice at times, but in conjunction with having consulted my own inner wisdom first, and through that, have got on a path in life which feels right for me, and affirming of who I authentically am. My hope in sharing my own personal reflection with you is that if you're someone who finds it hard to give credit to your feelings, whatever they may be, that you might think about seeing them differently and viewing them as a valuable source of information, wisdom and guidance. And if you're someone who tunes into yourself, your emotions and source of inner wisdom easily and regularly, Maybe you related to some of my story, as Western society in general doesn't teach emotional awareness or emotional competence, doesn't value intuitive knowing as much as intellectual or scientific knowing, or value emotion as much as reason. So whatever your relationship with your emotions and whatever you choose to do about them, your hunches, your gut feelings and sensations alike may be just the wisest part of you trying to get you to know yourself just a little bit more. Thank you. Amen. A piece of Arabic wisdom from 500 BC tells us, so you can walk on water, we are no better than a twig. 
floating on a puddle. You can fly through the air. You know better than this gnat buzzing around my head. Master your own heart, then maybe you can be somebody.